Oh, for sure. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm chill. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm laid back, but mm-hmm. it's time to pop it. You know what I mean? I mean, time to give me my flowers. You know what right. I mean? I don't want them later on when I ain't here. The Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast also refuses to go on an apology tour. Welcome to episode 43 of the Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Sock Jig. You can follow me on Twitter at Sock Jig and on Instagram as well. I have a jam-packed episode this week. A lot of topics to get through because I did an interview before and then an emergency podcast. So I finally get to talk about the lost and found ones and backdooring and how the resale price has been plummeting. I have a little bit more on the Kanye fallout. And I talk a little bit about the short-term and long-term effects for not only Adidas, but for buyers and for retailers and resellers and the resale apps as well. I have some older topics that got bumped from previous episodes, so I talk a little bit about sneaker tech startups and about sneaker equality. Then I also talk about some sneaker storytelling, about which collaborators got anything to say when it comes to telling a story through footwear, and that maybe it's a time to give some of these one-hit or two-hit wonders a rest for a while. Which leads into some thoughts about how it's kind of the end of a sneakers era and we're on the dawn of a new era. But before all that, I had some thoughts about some self-promotion stuff that I was thinking about. If you see me promoting my episodes on Twitter, I'm going to do it shamelessly because if I don't believe in it, then why should others? So I'm a firm believer that you got to promote yourself because it's not guaranteed that anyone else will. I don't have expectations that someone or some platform is going to reach out and be like, hey, your show is good. Let me help you level up and promote you. Instead, you know, those people don't even say my name. It's usually some people said if they're ever going to talk about me. So when Wall Street Journal posts a story about Zeta Kicks and it's basically confirmed everything I've already said. So if you see me out there promoting myself saying I called that shit, I said that shit, it's because I called that shit, I said that shit. And, you know, everyone wants to grow and reach a new audience. But I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm not going to do engagement farming or any other cheating tactics. I'm not going to post photos of floating sneakers on Instagram or do TikToks and Instagram reels. I'm just going to do it in a way that feels authentic to me. So that's why I always appreciate the people who do listen to the show and support the show. So as I've said, if you bought socks or told a friend or left a review on iTunes or just liked or retweeted a post, thank you so much. You are not some people to me. So allow me to give you flowers for adding this show to the rotation and letting me talk kicks. You know, I end up talking about sneakers for almost an hour on this episode. In terms of gratitude and giving flowers, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And especially with the the death of Takeoff, rest in peace Takeoff. I don't know, for some reason I always identified with Takeoff in from Migos. You know, when you see a band and you'd be like, I would totally be that guy. I would be Takeoff in Migos, you know, the one who's reserved, that kept himself, but also the glue guy and always delivers. And I've been thinking about this for a while, that I've been wanting to show more gratitude, give more flowers. I mentioned the expectations earlier. There's people who could have helped me when I was starting out. I know some people did, and I thank them, and I don't want to discount them in any way. But there's definitely people I helped and they did not reciprocate. So instead of dwelling on that, it's fuck them and then let me be the change. (laughs) Has fuck them and let me be the change ever been said together again? I don't know. That's probably a a Michael Jackson song or maybe an Oprah quote that didn't make the cut. I'll never forget this one tweet I saw where it said, your homies will tweet happy birthday to Jay-Z but not promote your biz. So let me turn it around. I have somewhat of a platform. 
on this show and on Twitter. It's not huge or anything, but it's also not nothing. So I'm going to start doing that a bit more, showing more gratitude, showing more appreciation, and maybe promoting others as well, just like I would have liked to when I was starting out. So look for that in future episodes. But as always, I'll start with on-feet pickups, misses, and some sneakers that are releasing coming up. On feet lately, I've been wearing the CDG Supreme Air Force Ones. Those are the black ones with the kind of cut swoosh. Those are kind of underrated. You don't really see them out and about that much. I was going out and was wearing black pants and a shirt and stuff, but I still wanted to wear sneakers, so these fit the bill. Also been wearing Jordan 1 Bread Lows from 2016 or so, just because it's been raining a little bit. And the all leather on a Jordan 1 is always great for the rain. In terms of pickups, I was able to pick up the Taxi 1s. And I was able to get it on Sneakers app, which is actually the first time I've ever gotten anything on Sneakers app in almost two to three years. Sneakers app has basically filtered all Canadians, and I don't know if they just turned off all filters for this one. A friend of mine messaged me and said, hey, I was able to cop these, and I was like, well, let me try. So I kept trying on it. It took like 90 minutes to check out at the time because sizes kept popping up, and I saw that they did restock this week as well, so... Easy to get, happy to get them. They're really good colorway. I like that color blocking. I also picked up the highs and lows HAL A61130 Forest. That was a pre-order. I really like the first pair, so I was really happy to see that they actually did a pre-order for these and not just a 4 a.m. my time Australia drop. It looks like they built their own system in Heroku and there were some glitches where I actually accidentally bought three pairs when I only wanted one. But I emailed them and they cleared it up right away. And it was good to see that they're actually investing in their own drops and building something. So it seems like it might be a system that they use again. I also picked up the Slay Crocs, the Smurf blue ones. I sized down to size 11 and they still fit a bit oversized. And it's kind of a shit color in hand too. And I paid way too much shipping on Slayhee's site. That was the, the first Slayhee drop where he actually turned on Antibot and people were able to check out. So now I got this croc in hand that's a bit too big can't flip because the price is down to like basically retail on the apps and it's probably the last one i'll buy so unless they make some better colorways i'm just gonna avoid all these and it seems like other people came to the same decision because some of these brown ones have been sitting as well too i was also able to pick up panda dunks for the first time just because hey they restocked and if taxi ones work for me let me try the panda and that was on the nike app and same thing where after pending for about 10 minutes, it said checked out. And so after 14, 15, how many drops they've done is the first time I ever bought Panda Dunks. In Canada, basically they only drop in store and they just, you know, send out a notification and usually cook groups and stuff pick those up and a store is like 30 minutes away from me. So never a chance, but I got them and then I flipped them immediately. So out the door they went. I didn't even open the box really. I also picked up these A6 Gel UB4-1130. I think they're Kiko shoes, but they might not be. They're like a light blue and got hits of yellow and stuff, and it's got this mesh over the little A6 logo. I finally found them for sale for about 60 bucks, so I bought those right away. Otherwise, this has been the pickups for the last, like, month and a half, two months, because I haven't done it on the pod in a while. You know, there's this usual mid-September to mid-November lull, where it's in between, you know, back to school shopping and before Black Friday shopping kicks in. Usually stuff has slowed down, you know, things might have picked up in the last little bit because of Yeezys and people buying those up. But I think even that has tailed off a bit, but we'll talk about that more a little bit later. In terms of misses, I did want the Joe Fresh Goods 993. 
I did not want to pay 220 250 US for them. I wanted the green pair, and it seemed like that pair did not hit all retail shops, only some. And they seemed like it was an easy cop on Instagram, but Instagram is US only, and they don't even have the store feature for Canadians, so I did not even have access to those. I also missed out on the Huff Dunk raffle. I think I entered it, but I never got a confirmation or anything like that, so... I'm assuming they come out at skate shops and possibly sneakers again, but you know how that goes. But it's probably one of the first SBs this entire year that I've uh, actually wanted. Then the other miss was the Jordan 4 Navy, anything that looks like the OG cement I wanted, and I missed out on those. I just really tried on the sneakers app, tried my luck again, and got that old familiar sting of the L again. And it was actually the first time I had to tweet out at Mr. Brightside. I haven't done those in a while. That also kind of summarizes this release lull that there's been. There's... Hasn't been something that people have really wanted and a lot of people missed, but that's coming with the Lost and Founds coming up. I know these Trophy Room 7s are coming out soon, and allegedly there's only 20,000 of them. Obviously, the big question is, are they going to be backdoored like last time? I have not seen that much backdoor activity from the people I know who are in the know about this kind of stuff. Usually by now, there's resellers with already in hand pictures and stuff like that. But seeing as how the release is very soon, there hasn't been any of that. I think English Soul posted that he's got pairs coming available soon for $480. And that early price usually tells me that, you know, it's probably going to be a $300, $350 shoe, depending on the size. There's that commercial that came out, and I thought the commercial was pretty good. Right when he walks out of the Ferrari, I thought, hey, those look like Carmine's. And they did look a little bit out of place. And then when the little girl comes up, I was like, oh, she's going to say something racist. <laughs> so obviously she didn't because it's a commercial. And the match scene was pretty cool as well. But overall, I thought the commercial was pretty good and about as much as you can expect from sneaker commercials these days. And I will get into sneaker marketing and advertising a little bit later. I know there's supposed to be an online drop very soon, and I don't know what that means. It's just going to be go on the site or he's just going to announce an email raffle. Last time he used like a basic version of a mailing list MailChimp, which crashed at the time. And it was a big disaster. So the question is, is it going to be a big disaster again this time? And I'm totally guessing that it will be a big disaster again because I'm not sure if he's ponied up the money to pay for Shopify Plus, which gives you the whole bot protection, domain switch stuff. Maybe Nike did. Maybe Marcus did. But I'm not buying it. Say he's got 20,000 of these shoes and say none have been backdoored. I know impossible to imagine and say it's just split half 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 for online and half for in-store raffle that's 10,000 sneakers available online if the number was 10,000 even if without bot protection most regular people well most twitter people who are used to these kind of drops will most likely be able to hit because I don't think bots are going to go crazy for these because they're not guaranteed resale shoes I was joking that if they do resell, even if they resell for a $20 profit, that sneakerheads will then start beginning to forgive Marcus because it's almost like a rebate program for the last fuck up. But if it is a disaster and if you do miss and bots do clean it up and they all sell for $400 or whatever, then it's more, you know, fuck that guy. And to be honest, it's fun shitting on Marcus. So win-win either way. <laughs> Sneaker Guy of the Week. Sneaker Guy of a few weeks ago is I'm going to double up on Lost and Found's Ones Guy. Hey, all these Instagram posts said it's the most stock ever. 500k, basically that's like a million if my math is right. 
my grandma, my grandpa, my great grandma, they're all going to get pairs. Maybe they'll hit the outlets. I've been waiting forever for Chicago ones and it's going to be my retirement sneaker. You heard it here first. Sneaker guy of the week is going to retire once he gets these Chicago ones. I already bought the little sneaker container thing from Costco. And after that botch drop in 2015, I can't see sneakers app ever botching a drop again. This time it's going to be completely different. I mean, nothing can possibly go wrong. I mean, possibly go wrong. You know, Nike cares now. They have this new anti-reseller policy. They're actually trying. And even the sneaker itself. Did you see the little receipt on there and the little sales sticker on the side? It's like Nike is finally honoring these mom and pop shops that they slaughtered and threw out of business. I mean, come on, this smelled a little musty in there. But all that's important is that there's so many out there that I might just triple up. It's all supply and command. This has been Sneaker Guy of the Week. Okay, that was Sneaker Guy of the Week from a few weeks ago. This one has been on hold for a little while. So let me do another bonus one. This is the current Sneaker Guy of the Week. Sneaker Guy of the Week. The sneaker guy of the week is the guy who's going through five stages of grief with these lost and found ones. You see this shit with the resellers backdooring everything? Nike, please do something. Use your new policies. Let me tag Brenda Dunn. I'm sure he'll get to the bottom of this. Ah, oh, fuck. He ignored me again. Let me tag JM Wind. Come back and save us all, JM Wind. You damn resellers have ruined it all. You maniacs. You blew it up. Damn you. Damn you all to hell. Look, man. I just need one pair. What do you resellers want from me? All you're going to spend your money on is that sea salt spray shit and some essentials hoodie. I just need one pair. But you know, it's not really an OG high. It's just a reimagined. And what can you really do but backdooring? These stores need the money. And then if you look at the resale price, it's going down. Maybe it'll hit, you know, 275 So if you've been going through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance when it comes to the lost and found Chicago ones... The new five stages of grief guy are the sneaker guy of the week. This has been sneaker guy of the week. And that's basically how it went. The sentiment went from I'm going to double up easily to uh, these fucking backdoor reseller assholes to, hey, the price is so low now that I'll just pay for it. You know, early on, it was just like fantasy world where I bought a lot of ticket and I'm just going to think about all I'm going to buy with my winnings. But all along, I don't buy it. I didn't buy it then. I don't buy it now. I expect the fuckery to come. I expect a shitstorm. We're in the eye of a shit cane here, people. These lost and founds one are a low shit system. Rest in peace, Leahy from Trailer Park Boys. Anyways, all this backdoor stuff, you saw the photos that went viral and stuff. I thought it was hilarious when, like, the people at Ballsack Sneakers were like, oh, people are just posting this shit for engagement. At the same time, they're posting Twitter threads with the PO numbers on the side of the boxes. It was zoomed in and didn't even blur them out. It's just a full-on Fed post. But the thing about those boxes, of course, people should be removing the label. But people get lazy because those boxes actually fit those sneakers, those size sneakers perfectly. You can get whatever, six or so in a box. You're not going to just change the box and put it into some awkward fitting box. So people get lazy. And as I said on Twitter, that was New York City. New York is going to New York. It's always going to be the same. It's a city of hustlers. That's never changing. You could have a security escort at all times with those shoes. It wouldn't change anything. You'd see the same photo. And the thing about those photos, I don't instantly believe them. It's so easy to spread misinformation or incomplete stuff. I've seen the screenshots and stuff like that being posted. One from Concept Store, allegedly. You can weaponize these photos so easily if you wanted to. 
I can message some people I know who do have access to these sneakers and just say, hey, send me a photo of a stack of these lost and found ones. Then I can just set up a fake iPhone message with a friend and say, hey, I got these from Trophy Room or Soulfly or whoever. Post it online and it'll just spread quickly. Because it's easy likes, it'll get the people going. It is engagement farming. People will get mad because they want to be mad about it. It doesn't really matter that I could have staged the whole thing. It works because people want to see evidence of that. They want to see, you know, can you believe this shit? Can't stand these damn resellers and what they're doing. Anyways, I don't do that kind of stuff. I talked about the fuckery that's going to come and about the misinformation. Overall, I don't let a shoe bring me down. I remember being really down about missing a Yeezy 750, the, the gray gum version. It really ruined my weekend. And like, who cares about that sneaker now? That's why I could just point at the sign that says the game is the game. In terms about the actual sneaker itself, and I see a lot of predictions about the price and stuff. I had said in an old tweet back in March that these sneakers would be up to $1,000. And that's because the Chicago has always been fiercely protected. At the time, no one knew that it was going to be a reimagined version in big numbers. And I still don't buy that there's big numbers. Supposedly 500k, I wouldn't be surprised if it's half of that, which is still a lot for Jordan 1. If some drops are like, say, 80k or 100k, so if really is half of 500k at 250k, that still is a lot. The other thing I've seen a lot is people saying, hey, I, I feel so bad for the people who paid $1,000 for these sneakers when they're now going for, say, $400. You know who doesn't feel bad? The people who pay $1,000 for sneakers. Those people do not give a shit. They're happy to pay the $1,000. They're happy to have it early. People start putting their mindset into early buyers' mindset when it's totally different mindsets. You see this all the time with consignment stores. Hey, I can't believe these assholes are selling Panda Dunks for $300. You can get it on StockX for $160 or just wait three weeks for a Nike app restock. The thing is, that buyer who's walking into that consignment store gives no shit about that. He just wants to pay the price for the sneaker in hand right away. Just like the lost and found one buyer who spent $1,000 gives no shit about the price Really, those people are who keep the sneaker economy going. So salute to you early buyers that pay the high. And as we've seen, the price has been going down. Early on, you can tell what people probably paid for the backdoor price at what they're selling it for. If they're selling it for $550 at the time, they probably paid $450. And it fluctuates. Now the price is down. People are selling for $400, which means maybe they got it for $300 or less. The other thing about the current market prices is people will post selective screenshots at, oh, size seven and a half is 320 now. But seven and a half is not a good indicator of where the actual shoe is. In past years, maybe seven and a half was usually the most, the highest one, but these days it's size 12, size 13. So I usually use size nine and a half and size 12 as the best indicators of where the sneaker price is. Right now on the app, I checked right before this, the size nine and a half was 437 US, size 12 was 390 US. So those will most likely keep kind of trickling down as we get to the release date. And then the release date itself, it'll pop because the fuckery will come, sneakers app will screw up as it has been leading up to this. And really there has been kind of a resurgence in some of the Nike app bots that have been going out. They've been hitting a lot of stuff. There's private bots out there that are hitting. I'm sure Nike will be all out and have all the filters up and probably change but then I also expect the sneakers app to be busted as it has been for even just regular drops. But back to release day, people will see that they missed, they'll get the sneakers app alert that either you got the L or you couldn't even enter because of a server error and they'll go straight to GOAT or straight to StockX and buy. I saw this just the other weekend with the Midnight Navy 4. 
I checked an hour before the drop, size 12 on GOAT was 289 US. 30 minutes after the drop, 329. And right now I just checked is 298. You know, months and years from now, these will probably start going up again. I know there's allegedly way more than before, but just look at origin story, Spider-Man, Jordan 1's as an example. Those had gone down to 300s. And if you look now, they're going for 800, 900 US or so. But as I said, don't let a sneaker make you miserable. Go for the sneaker. If you miss, it's fine. It's not exactly a Chicago 1. Chicago 1 85 will probably come out soon anyways. And then the OG... They're never going to not have a Chicago. You just have to wait the couple of years in between. If it's retail or bust, go ahead. If you want to wallow in misery at the bust, go ahead. If you want to pay the 325 350 389 whatever it is, that's what I would do if I really wanted it. And I saw this tweet from Mr. Unloved Ones. He's been tweeting a lot about this sneaker because a lot of this information does stem from him and his sources. And he was talking about how people feel about this sneaker. And one of his tweets was something like, People who don't even like vintage or age sneakers are getting upset about this. This really was this light bulb moment for me. It's like, I don't have any vintage or age looking sneakers. So why am I going to get upset about this? But really, I am just the sneaker guy of the week that I am getting to acceptance part of the five stages of grief. Next up, the mandatory Kanye West segment. In terms of sneakers, I have some thoughts about the short term versus long term effects for everyone involved in sneakers. That's coming up, but first I had some thoughts about the Lex Fridman podcast that I actually listened to. This is one of the few times where it's not sneaker talk, so feel free to skip ahead if it's not your thing. I don't get into a lot of the politics and stuff like that. I took a couple long walks and I listened to the whole thing, so I had a couple thoughts on it. I did listen to Kanye on the Lex Fridman podcast, and I thought it was mostly contradictions and bullshit. But, you know, I went for a long walk and it was an okay listen. Still, to me, he comes across as someone who only sort of knows a bit about a lot of things. And as he says, he doesn't read books, so I assume he's just watching YouTube clips or someone in his orbit is saying this stuff to him directly and that person is getting paid for it. I don't know. A few good points that I remembered from the podcast. There's a part where he said we should all switch to the metric system. As a Canadian, I agree. <laughs> and another part, he said he really likes the Dire Straits Money for Nothing video that it's an iconic video, I will agree with that. That was the first music video I remember. And another time he said, you know, I could give an Andy Kaufman type answer. And anytime someone mentions Andy Kaufman, it kind of goes with the theory that everything is pro wrestling. And Andy Kaufman is famous for being in character and putting on a work, something that is staged, but he doesn't break character, and just like in pro wrestling. And so when Kanye said, I could give an Andy Kaufman answer, what he was saying was, I could kind of fake this and perform right now, but I'm not going to. Anyways, the rest of the podcast, you know, there's a lot of the utopia talk. You know, we want to live in a world of harmony and biodomes created by Kanye and stuff like that. It's going on and on about engineering and you don't need to know history. It's always kind of scary when someone says you don't need to know history. We just need engineering. Engineering is going to solve the world, solve all the world's problems. One thing about engineering most engineering jobs are bullshit and this includes both software and hardware you know probably software more than hardware but hardware a lot too that's stem players hardware and this is just a fucking tamagotchi it's completely useless no one really needs a stem player it's not going to solve any of society's problems in software there's people working software jobs right now doing completely bullshit things that do nothing useful in society, but does serve some sort of purpose. For example, you know, Linktree, the Lincoln bio company, 
there's a big company and employs lots of engineers and people for a link in the bio, just because Instagram or Twitter only allows one link. It's completely useless. So someone has engineered a solution to have five links in a bio. Wow, great. But as I said in previous podcasts, those companies exist because people need them, they serve society, and they have a purpose. But they're still bullshit. But back to Kanye's stuff, the, the host Lex, he did press him on a lot of the anti-Semitic stuff. And, uh, you know, Kanye just goes into his whataboutisms. What about the media? The whole media dog whistle stuff. And when bringing up the Holocaust, you know, Kanye does the what about abortions. You know, he just sounds like a rich Christian Republican, which is fine if that's who you are. Just fully embrace it. You know, that's what Fox News is for. Fulfill your destiny and go all the way with it. I thought the interviewer Lex came across much better than Kanye did and did push back on a lot of the anti-Jewish stuff, but only the anti-Jewish stuff and not much else really. The other thing I disagreed with the interviewer was he called Kanye one of the most important fashion designers in the world. I don't know about that. Sneakers maybe, but in fashion, clothing, I don't think so. Probably more of a footnote. The other thing I found interesting was when he talks about Demna and that he still seems to be friends with Demna. New York Times basically called him his work wife. And Kanye did say he would work with him again because it's not Demna that cut ties with Kanye. It was Balenciaga. So most of these fashion houses have a different top name designer every four or five years anyway. So he said he would work with Demna again on Yeezy. And I could totally see that. I could totally see them releasing hoodies and t-shirts again in the future. You know, the trend with rich people in the past was you get rich and then you get to the point where you have so much money, you just want to start giving it all away like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett and others. And now they're doing the opposite. They're like, I'm going to keep this and I'm going to now buy tech companies and media companies while at the same time, you know, blowing the media dog whistle that media is to blame. Anyways, check it out if you want to listen. I was featured in two articles recently about what's going to happen with Yeezys and resells. So it is me, media man, sock jig. The first one was for Glossy Co. And they were really nice. They said I was the host of the popular sock jig sneaker podcast. And they even included one of my Panda Express jokes in there. And in that quote, I had said basically in, that in terms of resale, there might be a slight bump as people buy the Yeezys that they always wanted. And then it might be short-lived. And this is all on Instagram DMs. And the interviewer did ask me, do you think the culture has turned on Kanye for good? And I answered it straight as he had asked it. I don't think the culture has turned on Kanye for good. So that's how the quote was put in the article. So some guy on Twitter got mad at me for saying, what do you mean by the culture? And I was like, hey, I was just asked a question and I answered it. But it's always interesting when you talk to a reporter and what they're going to put in and what they're not. I talked to both the people for about 10 minutes. One was on DMs and one was on like a video Google Meet. And so, yeah, that was the second article in Anscape, which is from ESPN. And in that one, I was basically talking about the same kind of thing where prices might go up during Christmas time and then might settle down. But that there's a ton of product out there. So it's going to take a while for prices to start trickling up because there's just so many out there. People are going to have to wear them. When someone undead stocks a sneaker, it's removed from the market and there's one less available. So that's what we talked about. We talked about lots of things. I talked mostly about what it's like short term versus long term. So that didn't make the cut in the article. That's fine. I could save it for this podcast. So that's what this whole segment is about in terms of what's going to happen in the short term and long term for adidas for resell for kanye himself for these StockX marketplace apps boutiques and buyers some assumptions we're gonna assume that kind of 
Kanye settles down and doesn't keep escalating things every day, that's not exactly promised. You can't really do anything if all you're doing is just, you know, poking and escalating every day. That's why I was saying if that's what you want to do, just go all in and do that. You know, go on Fox News, go on, you know, Newsmax, OAN or whatever, and leave all this sneaker fashion shit behind. The other assumption is that fans will start to slowly embrace him again if he does do that. But of course, others are going to write him off forever. In terms of Adidas, they killed the deal not for what Kanye did say, but what else he could say in the future. You know, he said some anti-Semitic stuff and that was enough, but what about everything else he's going to say in the future? That probably heavily swayed their decision as well. The other thing I wanted to talk about was that in a quote to Footwear News from a PR person, they were asked if there's going to be any layoffs and Adidas said there's not going to be any. We need all those people. And honestly, I don't buy it. I don't buy a single thing, especially a PR person is saying that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to spin PR. They didn't say we're not going to lay off people. They just said we need people in their skills, which you do even when you lay off people. In terms of long term, of course, the goal would be to release the models that they have, these Yeezys, under a new name. And Adidas didn't announce that they're doing this. They just said they own the names. It was actually a Wall Street analyst said that they expect this. So, you know, people take that and say Adidas is going to bring them back. And that is not true right now. And maybe we'll learn more when they do their quarterly earnings on November 9th. But right now, they just said we own the names. In terms of actually doing that long term, seems to me it'd be easy enough to alter. You just need new boxes, a new insole. Maybe there's a Yeezy written at the bottom of the outsole. You know, it doesn't seem like they'd have to drastically change the shoe. The one shoes, the 350s that say supply on the stripe, you know, you could just remove that altogether because they already did that in some of the 350s. If they did release again, maybe they'd be cheaper because maybe they don't have to do that collab markup where you're paying $15, $20 for licensing of Yeezy. But with the way inflation is going, it might be the same price. You know, the big question, of course, would everyone who loves Kanye buy these non-Kanye version of the shoe? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Would the mom at the mall who's wearing 350s want the, you know, non-Yeezy version of the shoe? I don't know. Maybe that mom bought it because the kids thought the shoe was cool. Maybe she bought it because her kids convinced her that they're comfortable. You know, what do moms at the mall wearing 350s want? Do they want comfort or do they want cool or both? It's more than moms at the mall and Kanye stands wearing 350s. There's a whole bunch of people wearing 350s and they might all think different things. So it's just too hard to tell right now where that would go and what is cool at the time. And I will talk about eras and stuff a little bit later. But of course, right now, they got to wait till this anti-Kanye sentiment kind of dies off a bit and people start missing him again. But people can't exactly miss him if he's still out there escalating every single day. In the short term, I would love to see some releases released, like the 1050 boot, but I don't see it happening. But as I talked in the last podcast, their real long-term goal is they got to rebuild their hype program with some actual results. In terms of resale, as I said in those two quoted media pieces, short-term, prices going up, possibly sustained by Christmas, but it seems like they're a sign that they're already kind of settling down and that the bubble is popping. And we saw this with both the Nike off-white prices and Kobe prices where they popped a bit and then settled back down a but as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, long-term resale prices of Yeezys could start slowly climbing, especially the really good ones like Wave Runner, Zebra, Bone White 350, Beluga, Bread, those ones. Because those are the ones people wear, there's less available on the market, then the price goes up. But there's a ton of those out there. They did restock after restock of the Wave Runners, Zebra, 
maybe not the white 350, but Beluga came back with a reflective version. Bread came back. So all those have to be, you know, bought and worn and taken off the market. And by that point, that's when Adidas could strike with their no-name version of Yeezys coming back. If it takes a year and a half, two years for Yeezys to start going up, that is probably enough time where sentiment has died down about Kanye, you know, assuming the assumptions that I made in the beginning, and then they can bring him back at that time. And that also kind of gives them enough time to rework those shoes and give them a new name. In terms of apps like StockX and Goat, as we saw with those apps, they really didn't say anything. I've talked about this a little bit in the past where you can't exactly ask a marketplace to have a conscience. After Kobe's death, you know, some made some gestures and donated some money for a short period of time, but didn't exactly pull product. I'll get to this a little bit later as well too, but we can't exactly ask retailers to have explicit plans in place for who can buy women's shoes or these historically black college dunks or charity shoes like the Doran Beckers. So the same thing applies to these marketplace. If they arbitrarily enforce the rules for one of them, then they got to do it across the board and a marketplace doesn't want to do that. They just want to skim their fees off every single sale as much as possible. Short term for them, they saw their bump here where the prices did go up. Long term, as I said, there's a ton of dead stock Yeezys out there. It's going to take a while to get through those. But once they're gone, what's going to be there to replace it? And that leads to the same problem that boutiques and retailers are going to have. For them, the short term problem is how to get rid of the inventory that they have that's already sitting in the store that you can no longer sell that might be a pain to ship back to Adidas. And there's an article by the fine people at Ballsack Sneakers about quoting some retailers and boutiques about, oh, they're stuck with this inventory, uh, it's costing me money. Those guys can backdoor it. And if they don't know how to backdoor it, they're not doing their job right. So they're just out there lying. But long term, there definitely is a problem. It's the same problem that the marketplace apps like StockX or Gotika have, and that there's nothing else to replace the money made from Yeezys. These are high-priced items that sell through at high frequency, there's a ton made. Sometimes there would be two or three Yeezy releases a month and you'd get hundreds of them if you were a small boutique. Sure, Adidas might start making them again, but nothing anytime soon, apparently. And there's no guarantee that they will sell at the same rate that the Yeezys did. The same thing with Kanye, really. If he does release independent shoes, they're not coming anytime soon, not for years. And if they do come, most likely they'll be direct-to-consumer online or in pop-up stores that he's always wanted. I had this bit about StockX and the coupon mishap and stuff that they had, but a lot of that is kind of dated, so I I updated it a bit here. And I wanted to talk about how it's going to be a tough time for these sneaker startups. And I'm talking about startup companies like StockX, Goat, and even smaller ones like Tradeblock. Basically, they're all looking for investment. They're all looking to get to that next level. The goal is always rounds of investment until you get to this IPO and go public and all that stuff. But I'm not sure if that is possible right now in the current economy with inflation the way it is. Because overall, tech stocks are down. So if the big tech stocks are down, you know, StockX is not going to start going public at the same time. And I'm kind of bunching them in because really these companies are tech startups and sneakers is just the space that they're in. So if you're a small company, keep going, run lean, keep trying to grow, keep trying to get investments by showing off the growth. If you're these medium to larger tech companies, like StockX especially, you know, they've paused expansion and there's been rounds of layoffs, but 
because as I said, to get investment, you have to show growth. You have to show monthly active users, daily active users, sales charts, everything. That all has to be going in an upward direction for big investors to want to invest in you and see that they can make the return on their money. So with that said, it still is possible for these tech startups to get investments if you have that growth. Look at TradeBlock. They were able to get some funding very recently because they have a lot of growth. There's a lot of people going to TradeBlock. I know TradeBlock may have some of their issues and they're working on that. And I've heard that TradeBlock has laid off people. There was that Reddit thread as well, too, of someone who had recently been laid off. And that's kind of the contradiction that gets in play that to have growth, to show growth, to build features, you need employees. But you know, when you got to get lean, you got to lay off people. And honestly, the investors probably say, hey, lay off a bunch of people and then we'll invest in you because all of a sudden your expenses have gone down. You know, I can totally see other sources of uh, investments coming in, like foreign investments. Maybe Saudi Arabia wants in. Maybe the prince's son is really into off-white Louis Vuitton Air Force Ones and wants to buy into this tech startup sneaker company. But they really have to ask themselves, is the premise of what they're building viable? If you're not growing... What are you doing? Is it just a temporary thing and it's all going to turn around? Are NFTs going to solve all your problems? But if the premise of your sneaker tech company is shit, if the exec team is shit, maybe it's a good time just to pack it in. Another older topic I had for a few weeks now that I'll get out here is one about sneaker equality and about fairness. And I guess it ends up being about entitlement as well, too. And I'm talking about, you know, access to women's shoes, access to these historically black college or university dunks that came out, even like these Dornbecker charity shoes that are coming up. And kind of the topic that comes up very often is these shoes should go to the people that they're made for and others should abstain. And just a disclaimer, the Sock Jake Sneaker Podcast, me, Sock Jake, respects women, respects people, respects who they're for. I'm going to talk about this topic logically, just like I do any topic. I'm not going to get into, well, what about men's rights? You know, that kind of bullshit. A recent example were the Around the Way Girls, Jordan Ones, also known as the Denim Ones. And that was the very first part of that story where the name has been stripped. All the inspiration has been stripped. And that could be because LL Cool J owns the name of the song and it's legal or it's budget or it's supply chain delays. It could be one or the other or all three. The thing about that shoe is it doesn't resell. It was sitting in Canada for the longest time. It might still be sitting. It was sold out in the US, but it kind of sat a little bit and then it sold out, but it's restocking all the time. I saw it restock this past week as well too. And the thing about these sneakers sitting in Europe and Canada and stuff, I'm assuming Nike's gonna change that up in you know the next year and a half or so. Uh, they're just going to give less stock to those countries and move it more into the North American market where it does move. Personally, when it comes to women's shoes, I don't wear any. I'm a men's size 12. That is a women's size 13 and a half. The only women's shoes that I ever got were the Ama Manier 3. And even those I just tried on and I haven't even ever worn. I guess these Tom Sachs general purpose shoes are also women's, but uh, I guess they're more pitched as unisex. There are some threads and Twitter spaces started by women about how You know, these shoes are an homage to black women. Why are men wearing it? Why are customizers buying them and putting out awful dyed photos of them? And I understand the frustration. And even on a shoe that is basically, say, a brick and doesn't flip for much compared to, say, the the satin Jordan ones. To me, the answer is simple. It's just people who really like their bottom, the enthusiasts bottom, or these customizers who are trying to promote their Instagram or their customizing business. And that's the big issue is how can you ask people to not like something 
that they should abstain because they're not for you, leave them alone. You can ask, but if they really like it, they're just going to ignore it. And really, they're going to question why are you even asking. I'm not sure there is a fix for this or if there ever will be a fix. It's just too hard to police behavior across the board. Policing behavior is a miserable experience and anyone who tries it is just going to end up miserable themselves. But if you want to change consumer behavior, there's two ways. There's brands doing it with marketing or there's like grassroots campaigns. In terms of marketing, I'll cover this in the next topic as well, but it touches on this and that the brands have realized that telling the story isn't always necessary. Here's a shoe. You like a shoe, buy a shoe, money, please. Thank you. Transaction complete. That's it. That's kind of the end of it. If they know a shoe is going to sell out and they don't have the budget for it or they don't have the legal requirements or whatever, they're probably like, why bother? So when there's Twitter threads and spaces, we're basically asking the brands, can you budget for this? Can you budget for campaigns? Can you market to us, please? And they're basically saying, eh, can't do it. And the same for retailers. You can't ask every retailer to have an event or a special promo or photo shoot for every single shoe. It's just not going to happen. Some obviously do special events and stuff for the shoe. I don't know where the budget comes from if brands actually participate in that. I know for like Froskate and Skate Like a Girl dunks, they had events and things like that. Even these uh, historically black college dunks. I know a lot of them were available in the city those universities are. And only a few made it onto sneakers app itself. But for a retailer, a sale is a sale. As I said, marketing is not always required. The shoe is going to sell. And that's why I say story is not always required because the shoe is going to sell. And we just can't ask every retailer to come up with rules and events for every single drop. Make this a women's only drop. Make this a charity drop. Make this a historically black college student ID required drop. And they do. They try. Sometimes for hype ones, there'll be a raffle. It's easy. For semi-hype, like around the way girls, it's probably just first come, first serve. For bricks, are there rules for bricks? Like these women's Jordan 12, they're like royal and white. Should men abstain from buying those? Because no one else is buying them. They're sitting on the shelves for weeks. So that's what I mean. It's hard to establish rules on only semi-hype or hype shoes and ignore everything else. And as I said, if you're going to try to institute some sort of rule that a man should wait until some random day or time before buying a women's shoe or determine that it's a brick before buying a woman's shoe, it's just not going to work. It won't be easy to do. No one really wants to do it. It's going to be a miserable experience, especially in a free market. So, you know, like I said, the people have the power. They can ask the brands, they can ask the retailers, but they can start their own campaigns. But how are you going to ask people to not like something? Boycotts, make fun of those people who do buy those women's shoes. Most of the time it's going to be short-lived. If there was an easy way to stop people from liking things so they no longer want to buy it, it would have been weaponized by companies a long time ago. They would have been weaponizing it to make you dislike competitor products. So there's just no easy way to do any of this. So in terms of solutions, let me mansplain some solutions. You can ask the brands what you want. You can put it on them. Like I said, instead of silence brand, it's please market to us brand. We want marketing. But really the brands, they have to look beyond the numbers. And what I mean is, if they say women don't buy Jordans or something like that, in a way it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If women don't buy sneakers, then you don't do anything about it, then they're not going to buy sneakers. But if you create the market, if you nurture it, and you make a connection with women, all of a sudden you've created a market and you can make money from it. How do you make that connection? You tell a story. That's as old as time. But as we said, they're realizing for a lot of hype shoes, we don't even need a story. 
Some of the other solutions have been covered and talked about. We need just more women in all aspects of the industry, in retail stores, in the brands. And I was talking with Sneaker Fetish on Twitter, and he had suggested that we need women botters. And I said, you know, botting is a trap. If people think it's just a box and you press a button and it solves everything, it's not going to solve anything. I'm not sure a cook group called White Knight Notify is the solution here. We here at White Knight Notify run slots for bricks for women out of the goodness of our heart. Some dude will be DMing you, asking you for your credit card information and your phone number. Not sure how well that's going to go. This is not a scene. This is a goddamn arms race, as, as Fallout Boy once said. Sure, if you know someone who runs bots, they can help a few people who are friends. But that's not the answer for equality. That's just, like I said, an arms race. Even asking for help, asking people to help you out is a good idea, but only if someone you trust. If you ask three people and it's a brick shoe and they all enter for you and win, you got to now buy three shoes from these people or you got to tell them to return it. It's just a big hassle. For those around the way girl Jordan ones, like I said, they were sitting in Canada, but after currency conversion, taxes and reshipping, it'd be cheaper for people in the US just to buy it on StockX. Ultimately, that is one of the best solutions for this. If it's a brick, if it's under retail, because some of these sneakers really were under retail, just buy it on the app. It's stress-free. You don't have to talk to anyone. It's honestly not that much more. If a shoe on Nike is $170, you know, after taxes, it might be $185, $190. And the same sneaker is $180 on StockX. After fees, it might be like $205. I think that's a cheap price to pay for a sneaker you really want instead of trying to establish rules on who can and who can't buy that shoe. So for the final segment, I wanted to kind of put it all together. And it's about storytelling and sneaker storytelling and how collaborators are used. And as I've said, there's this contradiction where storytelling is more important than ever. You need it to make connections, to build markets, to establish a customer. But at the same time, it's not always required for a sneaker. If you look at the way Nike is doing it, the marketing doesn't always match the inspiration as we saw with the Around the Way Girls. The inspiration was Around the Way Girls, but the marketing for it ended up being denim ones. And I've gone over some of the reasons why in that previous segment, you know, legal, budget, laziness, or brands just assuming that people will kind of understand it anyways. We've put it out there in Instagram stories or the YouTubers are going to put it out there for us. They got something to do now. But as we've seen with kind of the interest that sneaker YouTube has, people aren't seeking out these stories as much as they used to. We saw this with the Jordan 1 Brotherhood ones, and that was based on the fraternity Omega Sci-Fi. And, you know, they have this whole thing about throwing up the hooks, this arm gesture. There's a lot of traditions and storytelling to be told there, but none of it really was told most of it was told by YouTubers. Even this a Starfish Women's Jordan that came out, it's based on a Birkin purse because it has that extra stitch on there. It's not a Birkin collab because they did not want to pay Birkin most likely. So it ends up being inspired by shattered backboards or Italian couture or whatever they said. For others where the story is not always required, what's the story of the New Balance Protection Pack? I don't know, and they called it refined future, but I guess in the future we're wearing refined tattered clothing and it's kind of sewn together into a sneaker. I don't know. Or even this cactus plant flea market McDonald's collab. What, what is the story of cactus plant flea market? We're on some wavy shit because we're high. That's why we all have four eyes. I don't know. And that one was an example where big brands want in on drop culture and that's its entirely different subject. 
So you can not have a story, but you can definitely have some sort of design language. And Salehi Benberry is a good example of this. He has this whole fingerprint design language and it runs across brands from New Balance to Vans to these Crocs. And they have some semblance of a story, earth, wind, fire, whatever, gold planet. With your powers combined, I can go on this hike. So the storytellers that do have stories to tell, how many stories do they got? There's some that have plenty. Look at Joe Fresh Goods. He's got drops, they've got names, they've got entire inspiration and commercials, inside voices, outside clothes. The first one was called, one of my favorite names for a campaign, No Emotions Are Emotions, and this recent performance art one. And he's got clothing, video, everything. James Whitner has done this really well too. The Ama Monier 3 was called Raised by Women. The Jordan 1 was called Airness. Even the dunks, free lunch dunks, these pennies are all called recess and playground. And there's a thread of a story that runs directly through all of these drops for both Joe Fresh Goods and James Whitner. And I know James Whitner has a lot of clout at Jordan Brand and it's growing a lot too. And I think that is a big reason why they have done really well. And so props to Michael Jordan as well too for actually putting his money and name behind projects after the George Floyd protests and not just paying it lip service. So in terms of collaborators and what story they have to tell, they have to have a story and it's gotta be able to connect. It's gotta be a hit. And of course the sneaker itself plays a part in that. The sneaker itself has to be good. Otherwise no one's gonna care about the story. Example of that, look at Kerwin Frost. He's got zero hits with Adidas. I don't know what story he's got to tell. I don't watch his YouTube show. I don't care about any of the models that he's done collaborations with. There are some, you know, one hit wonders out there. Even at New Balance, maybe Aries or Casablanca or Stray Rats, maybe they were one hit wonders. Or maybe it was just bad luck where they had one good silhouette and the rest were shitty ones. Look at Sean Weatherspoon. Is Sean Weatherspoon a one hit wonder? His consistent design language and storytelling is about environment and sustainability. So he did that with the first one, with the Air Max 1, but I'm not sure how successful he's been at it after that. The A6 tried to recreate it, and now what story does he have to tell? To me, it seems like this environment sustainability storytelling doesn't really have a lasting legs. Now he's got like a Hot Wheels collab. Is he just looking around the house, seeing his kid's Hot Wheel track on the floor, and then suggesting a triple collab because he just saw it, and that's that's it? That's the story he's got to tell? He's got nothing else? But when you look across the board at sneaker collaborators, most of them only really do have a couple hits. And so I don't want to discount their achievements. It's hard to have one hit, let alone two. It's hard to have a collab, let alone multiple collabs. So I was going to name a few and kind of go through them and ask, you know, do they have a design language or do they have a story to tell or do they have anything else to tell? Tom Sachs, of course, he's got his big hit with the Mars Yards and he's got a lot of creativity as an artist and he does have this common thread through all of his sneakers. So he does have a story to tell, but really those Mars Yards were the only hit. Everything else after that was basically a flop or was a derivative of the Mars Yard. And only now in this general purpose shoe does he have some sort of semblance of a hit. But even that, the storytelling of it is kind of bullshit. This whole creativity is the enemy. It's like, come on. If anyone bothered to read what the story was at that Coles display, it just read like bullshit. Another one, Pharrell. What has he got left? What stories does he have to tell? I'm not sure what stories he's got to tell other than the human nature or whatever it's called. Is he going to make a shoe about taking songwriting credits from Khalees? I don't think so. Ambush. Ambush was another one. She was actually criticized by Kanye. And her design language was, you know, the pointy swoosh. But even that's been kind of done on, say, the LeBron 20s. 
her hits were that dunk, and that's about it. I know they're kind of recreating it with an Air Force One. I know that she had some Lakers apparel collab. It was one of the worst collabs I've ever seen. It was all just like bulky wear. You know it's bad when even like Missy Elliott would probably say this is a bit too much for me. Acronym, design language, yes. Stories, unclear. I'm not sure what else they got to say. They had their hit shoes with the Prestos and some of the Air Force Ones, but everything else, Blazers don't have the same connection with people. Drake, does he have a design language? Not really. He's just a singer, so the draw is that he's the most popular singer, so you should like the shoe. But it doesn't work. No one is really clamoring for these hot steppers. Sakai and Jound, they both have a design language. And basically the design language is a story. For Sakai, it's about doubling up. It's mixed fabrics. Their big hit, of course, was the waffle one and then the vapor waffle thing afterwards. So that's their one or two hits. But they've had awful Nike apparel collab too. The jackets that made you look like the Michelin man. Jound, Jound has their design language of just plainness. You know, it's for fashion bros that take photos of their sneakers next to plants and tag Hidden New York on it. My, my buddy Papa Smurf on Twitter said, no, no, you don't get it, man. The subtle branding that Justin Saunders puts out there is a social commentary on the dilution of design and beauty with colors and color blocking. Or it's just a fucking plain gray sweatshirt. Off-White was the best example of this in that they had a design language. The story was often one about Virgil's own history with the sneaker. And that's why I connected with people. So obviously the solution is to mimic Off-White and Nike, but it's not going to work. You have to have your own version of that. You have to have your own stories to tell. So what can brands do? They got to find collaborators where they have a design language and they have stories to tell, like James Whitner, like Joe Fresh Goods. And they got to put some of these tired collaborators on ice. Do we really need more Nike stuff from MMW or even acronym at this point? I'm not saying kill them forever, but if you put them on ice and you bring them back in two, three years, then maybe people will have missed them and they have some something new and fresh to bring. So they got to get some new blood in. They got to get new storytellers in. And the easiest one is to look at either stores or fashion brands. I joke that you can just go on the side of the Essence site and pick a brand that's up and coming and pick them to make a shoe. And that's it seems like what Adidas did with Songs for the Mute. And maybe that's what they did with Wales Bonner as well, too. E6 maybe did the same thing with Ice Studios. Because fashion brands already have some sort of design language and they might have a story and they might not. In terms of stores, store usually don't have a story. The story is the store. What's the story of CDG Comme des Garçons? It's black and white. But there's lots of stores out there that haven't had a collab, that haven't had a chance. So Asics is one of the ones that's done this really well with AFU and Kith and even HAL Studios recently. There's lots of one-off ideas that brands might have too, like looking at e-gaming and YouTube and TikTok stars and stuff too. But again, the question is, do they have anything to say? Do they have a story to tell? Does Ninja have a story to tell with Adidas in footwear? doesn't seem like it. One of the better ones I saw was New Balance having a collab with a Facebook group, a sneaker Facebook group called The Basement. That was an awesome idea. I'd love to see the Atlanta group, the ATATF, have a sneaker collab with New Balance or whoever. I'd much rather see that than another ninja shoe. So, you know, that leads to stars. There's lots of stars out there. I've said before, there should be a lot more done with Bad Bunny and G-Dragon and stuff like that. But in terms of North America appeal, I'm not sure if The weekend is going to have a sneaker or Jack Harlow, 
Yeet and Lucky? Do they? Does a lawyer have to go through their lyrics first to see if they're acceptable? I don't have the answer for who the next star is going to be, but I know. But whatever it is going to be, you got to find someone who's got some sort of story to tell. They might have only one story to tell, and that's it. You have a one-off sneaker, and that's it. That's fine. But for others, you got to search them out, and you got to cultivate and grow it, just like how New Balance did with Joe Fresh Goods. I mentioned before the death of Virgil really marked like an end of an era for sneakers. Sure, he's got some leftovers coming out now, but there's not going to be a drop like the 10 again, it seems. And Yeezy's being dead, just another nail in the coffin for this era. So it's the dawning of a new sneakers era, and where are we going? What's next? I assume sneaker executives think that they're all geniuses. Hey, we deliberately vaulted dunks. Once they started hitting outlets, we put them in the vault, we brought them back at the right time. We pushed Air Force Ones a bit, and then we brought back Dunks, and then we got two big GRs at the same time. Maybe Air Max is going to be the next big thing again after de-emphasizing Air Max Day for the past few years. But as we said, who the next big collaborator right now isn't really clear at all. And as I said, what stories they gotta tell. The brands can push products only so much. It's actually the people in the streets wearing the sneaker and where trends come from. I know now the trend is we're going to Instagram and video and TikTok and stuff. And even Instagram, they're pushing reels. But one thing I've noticed is that sneaker photography seems kind of dead because Instagram is just so full of reels and TikTok-like videos. I know sneaker photography is never going away. There's always going to be people posting shitty floating sneaker photos or putting a plant next to their sneaker or whatever. It's just not as hype as it once was a few years ago. And that's why I was joking that we got to bring back the corny photos. But if there are trends emerging from TikTok, I know that there's already been fashion trends emerging, like the Stussy 8-Ball fleece jacket and things like that. But to me, it seems like TikTok trends seem to die pretty fast. It seems like a brief moment and not a lasting moment. I've seen clips of, you know, some Gen Z kids at some concert and they barely know the words to any of the songs other than the one TikTok song. But, you know, screw trends. Let's just think about what's next. We're starting a new era. And honestly, it's a good thing. Sneakers, to me, is always about what's new and what's next. That's why you forget about what the sneaker of the year was five years ago, seven years ago, let alone 15 years ago. It's why I rarely talk about nostalgia or back in my day and shit like that that other old heads cling to. It's fine for some. If that's what you do, if that's what you like, go ahead. But personally, I don't want to be stuck in the past. I always like knowing what's coming up and what's releasing next. Because no matter how much you look forward, you're always going to be informed by the past when it comes to sneakers. Case in point, we're starting a new era with sneakers, and one of the first sneakers for this new era is a remix of a Chicago one. This has been episode 43 of the Sock Jake Sneaker Podcast. Thank you for listening, and as always, please go fuck yourself. Fuck yourself.